Parashas Vayigash starts with the dramatic encounter of Yehuda confronting Yosef after the royal goblet has been found in the sack of Benjamin and Yosef has declared he's going to keep him as a slave and Yehuda puts his life on the line, so to speak, to try and defend Benjamin. Why does he do that? Yehuda himself tells us, Ki and that is, Yehuda took responsibility for Binyamin. Yehuda took responsibility for Binyamin. He told his father, he told Yaakov, that if I don't bring him back to you, and so to speak, present him to you alive, then then I will have sinned to you all my life, and Chazal explained it to mean that he was risking his Olam Abba. If he doesn't bring Binyamin back safely, then he'll forfeit his Olam Abba And that's why when Yehuda felt that Binyamin was being threatened to stay behind in Egypt, so he was willing to do everything. He was willing to beg, he was willing to offer himself as a slave, he was willing to go to war against the whole of Egypt. But the question was on Yehuda. Why did he take such a commitment in the first place? Why did he think the right thing to do was to risk his Olam Abba to bring back Binyamin? Let's look back to see how the story began. On their first journey to Egypt, Yosef told the brothers, I accuse you of being spies. And therefore, unless you bring your younger brother back with you next time to prove your innocence, don't come back and see me again. The brothers return to Eretz Canaan. They come to Yaakov, their father, and they tell him what the man said. And at the time, Reuben says, I'm willing to take responsibility for Benjamin, let him come down with me. If not, I'm willing to sacrifice two of my own children. Mishnei B'nai Thomas. So to speak, that's how seriously I'm going to take my responsibility to look after Binyamin. And Yaakov Avinu doesn't accept that. Yaakov says, my son's not going to go with you. Chazal add in, but Yaakov said, do you think that's a good collateral? that I want my grandsons to die if you don't bring back Yaman, then I'll have lost one son and two grandsons. Why would I be happy with that? So nothing happens until they've eaten the food they brought back from Mitzrayim and once again, there's nothing to eat. And Yaakov says to them a second time, go down to Mitzrayim and buy food. And the brothers tell him, we already told you the first time. The man told us, if you bring your brother down, then I'll see you, and if not, don't come. And we're not prepared to go with Apinyam. And Yaakov says, why did you tell me of a brother? And this question I have here is trying to understand Yaakov Avinu. He wasn't a forgetful old man. Yaakov knew exactly what was going on. And they had already told him this, that the man told us to bring Minyam, and Yaakov said, I'm not prepared to say Minyam. So why do we have the repeat of the whole conversation a second time? What was Yaakov thinking? 
And then the last point is, Yehuda eventually comes forward and says, I'll take responsibility for Binyamin. And if I don't bring it back to you, I'll forfeit my limit like we saw previously. And this time Yaakov accepts it. And let's ask the question we asked before. Does that make sense? Yaakov would be happy with that? And if you don't bring back Binyamin, you'll lose your limit boss. They're not going to be happy. Why is that a better offer than Ruben's offer? If it's trying to show how seriously you take the responsibility, so both Reuven and Yehuda showed that how serious it was to them, what they were prepared to lose. And if it was meant to be something that would satisfy Yaakov, in place of Binyamin, neither of them were offering something worthwhile. Yaakov didn't want Reuven's two sons to die. Yaakov didn't want Yehuda to lose his own Why was one more acceptable than the other one? This question isn't my question, it's the Rishonim's question. But what I want to understand is another point as well. And that is, how in the world could Yehuda take such a responsibility? Or Reuben for that matter. You're going in front of the Viceroy of Egypt, a powerful person, and probably one of the most prominent people of the world of the time. A person has armies, a person who can make decisions. You've already been there. And you've already seen that this isn't a reasonable person. You never expected the first time you went down to be accused of being spies. You never thought for a second that what was going to happen is Shimon would land up in jail and the rest of you would be sent back to bring Binyamin to free him, uh, Shimon as a hostage. So how do you know what's going to happen the next time? You're not in control of the situation. You're going to take a Christ, you're going to take responsibility for Binyamin when there's nothing you can do and you're prepared to risk your own children or your own above for that? How can it be? As in fact happened. No one predicted that Binyamin was going to be framed and that the king's goblet was going to be found in his bike. So how could Yehuda or how could Reuven take on such a Enormous responsibility with such terrible consequences if it wasn't something in their control. These are my questions. Firstly, what was the difference between Yehuda's offer and Reuven's offer? Secondly, how do you understand Yaakov Avinu? What was he thinking? What did he want them to do? And lastly, how could either Yehuda or Reuven take such a huge commitment when the result wasn't something that they could foresee. It wasn't a situation that they could control. So really, to answer the questions, I want to learn with all of you a very important sugya. A sugya of what we are called bitachon and ishtadlis, which means when it's the right thing to rely on bitachon, and when it's the correct option to feel that we're obligated to do something as a status. So I'd like to share with you a few principles that I've learned from my teachers, my rabbim. And I think with that we can look back to this again. The first lesson, something I learned originally from Gamil Rabbi and that is, a person has bitachon that Hakadosh Baruch Hu will help them. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu will send them a salvation. The first rule of Bitochen is, Hashem will send the salvation when the salvation is needed. Hashem has no inyan, no reason, to send the salvation way ahead of the time. Way before it's necessary. In fact, that only works against the person's bitachon. A person's reliance on Hashem is because I need something and I'm relying on Hashem to give it to me. But if the need has been taken care of long in advance, then a person is not relying on Hashem. And is relying on the fact that the need's already been met. For example, a person wants to marry, knows in the future they have to marry off one of their children. And they think it's, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. It's a huge expense to marry off a child. How am I going to afford that? And they might not have the cash put away right now to afford that. So then I thought, Ryan, HaKadosh Baruch is going to have to help me. That's true, but when will Hashem have to help them? And the answer is when they need the money. When the child gets engaged. And now it's a practical thing. How are we going to pay for their wedding? How are we going to set them up? Now it's necessary for a person to find a way to pay all the expenses. Now he can hope Hashem will help him. But if it's still years ahead, the child isn't of marriageable age even, to worry now, how am I going to marry off my child? What do you want Hashem to do? To give you the money now already? That's working against your bitachon. Because now I won't rely on Hashem. I'll rely on my bank account. I'll rely on my stock portfolio. Bitochen means I'm relying on Hashem to help me. And therefore, Hashem will help me when I need the help. As everything we learn is from the man. If Israel needed food, they got food. But not a week ahead. Not the night before. When you need it, you'll get it. That's the first rule of Bitochen. You can rely on Hashem. But the salvation won't come in advance. It comes when it's necessary. And to do hishtadlus ahead of time, before it's necessary, is a mistake. I learned this from Gamliel. I was once sitting with him and a young couple came in, people he knew obviously, and they told him that they were planning to move back to America. And he asked them why. And they said because when they got married, their parents and in-laws together decided to support them for two years. And in a few months' time, those two years were going to come to an end. So they wanted to be back ahead of time because they needed to find a new Parnassa. So I'm going to ask them, I don't understand. He said, so right now you can't afford to live here? So they told him a second time, right now we still, we still can, but in a few months' time, when the support we were promised comes to an end, then what are we going to do then? So we have to move back now, so that we'll be already settled back in America for when we no longer get supported. So Gamaliel said to me, he said, they're not even prepared to give Hashem one day. They're not even prepared to rely on Hashem and maybe he'll find them an alternative. It's not yet necessary. Right now they don't need the alternative. They're still being supported. But they're not even prepared to wait and see that maybe after the support that they were relying on from their parents ends, maybe Hashem will have a different plan for them. Maybe something else will come up. You said they have to decide Merosh. It's not an option. And therefore they have to give up now. That's why he's learned this lesson so well. Relying on Hashem means 
that when it's necessary, Hashem will help. When it's necessary, you have to make a decision what to do. But to do hishtadlus in advance for something which isn't yet necessary is not something a person needs to do. And therefore, the first point, and that is, why Yaakov didn't accept Reuben's offer. And that is because Reuben was offering to go there now and look after Binyamin. And this brings us to our second rule of Ishtadlus. Our second rule of Ishtadlus, this is really the Chaznish says this, I heard from Rabbi Shapira, Shapira, and that is, when only he needs to do a Ishtadlus, which makes sense that it's going to work. That it's very logical that it's going to help. But Ishtadlus, which is illogical, is not just Ishtadlus, it's a lack of imunna. It's like grasping at straws. If there's no real reason why this is going to help, then there's no reason to do it. And if that's the case, Yaakov assesses the situation. And he says, what are you offering to do? You're going to take down Binyamin. I'm worried I won't see him again. You're guaranteeing me you're going to bring him back? What's the guarantee? Are you in control of the situation? You know what Yosef is going to do in Mitzrayim? What the king is going to decree? It's not a logical status to do. It's not something which makes sense that you can know what the outcome is going to be. But right now we don't need to make status because we still have food. And if that's the case, what would be the reason to send down Binyamin? Because we need food. Right now we don't need food. We just came back from Mitzrayim. And therefore, the problem with Yeruven's offer, like the Ramban really says this point in Bekitzer, the problem with Reuven's offer wasn't what he offered, it was the timing. Right now we don't have to think about doing a shadlis. We have food to eat. It was only later when the food ran out. Now we have to do something. We need, there's no food. So now is the time to make the decision what to do. And if that's the case, Yehuda says, send Binyamin, I'll take responsibility for him. We asked before. It's not a logical thing. You have no guarantees that it's going to work. That's why Yaakov didn't want to send Binyamin. He didn't see it as being the Ishtadus they had to do to get food. He didn't see it as that they could, anybody could guarantee what would happen. And if that's the case, it's not the Ishtadus we have to do. So what did Yaakov want them to do? And here I want to share with you a Chiddush. Yaakov, like I said, wasn't a forgetful old man. He knew exactly what had happened. But Yaakov said, I want you to go to Mitzrayim without Binyamin. The right Ishtadus here is to go down to Yosef and ask him to go by food again without sending Binyamin. There's no reason to risk Binyamin. That's not the Ishtadus we need to do. If Hashem is going to send a nice and help us, He can do it without sending Binyamin also. That's what Yaakov wanted. The problem was the brothers refused to go. They say it themselves. Yehuda tells Yosef, we told our father, if you send our brother, we're going, and if not, we're not going to go. So then Yaakov says, then I have no option. If you're not going to go, then what am I going to do? Okay, we need the food. So if you're not prepared to allow on that level of emunah to go without Binyamin, so I have no choice but to send Binyamin. 
Rashi is, alludes to this as well. When Yaakov concedes and says in Cain, Eifoy, if that is the case and this is what you should do, Rashi says, You're forcing me to send him. Yaakov didn't want to send Binyamin. But if you're not prepared to go without him, I have no choice but to send him. It's okay, so what can we do? So you have to al and then Hashem will look after him. And that was the difference. Yaakov understood that the correct move here, the Ishtadlus, was to go down again without Binyamin. The brothers didn't see it like that. They thought without Binyamin, that's really not going to, there's no way it's going to work. We're going to have to take Binyamin. Oh, there's no guarantee. You can't rely on the fact you're going to bring him back. But we're forced to make that Ishtadlus because we're in the situation now where we need food. If we're already taking on this new way of thinking, let's think a second. The brothers were scared. They'll come down with that Binyamin. They'll all be killed. They'll all be jailed. They won't be given food. Of course, they didn't know that the, the man that they were talking about it was really their brother Yosef. But let's, just for, we don't know what would have happened. The Torah doesn't tell us. But let's just think for ourselves. What would have happened had the brothers come back without Binyamin? You think Yosef would have killed them? Yosef would have starved them? I don't know what Yosef would have done. But it's unlikely to think he would have done something worse to them. Yaakov's bitachon could have actually worked. But the brothers decided that they can't do it like that. They have to have a person. They have to have the Binyamin with them to meet the man. And therefore they felt that that was the ishtadlis they were chayav to do. Even though, like we said, it wasn't really a logical ishtadlis. That was the argument between Yaakov and Yehuda. Let's give another example of the same principle. Just understand it better. Yosef was in jail. In a jail where for 10 years nobody left. Yosef had no way to appeal for help to the outside world. He had no way of contacting them. And finally, finally, there's somebody leaving the jail. The butler. And Yosef's just done him a favor. And if that's the case, this is Yosef's one chance to send a message, a plea for help to the outside world. Maybe somebody will know about him. Maybe somebody will be interested in helping him. So Yosef decides the battle is leaving the jail. Let me ask him to intercede for me with the free world. To speak to power. And in the Midrash, Chazal tells speak badly of, about Yosef for doing that. Baruch HaGevesh HaYiftach Ba'ashem A person who trusts in Hashem Sechazadat Yosef He didn't rely on the haughty Not like Yosef who asked the Sarah Mashkim to help him What did Yosef do wrong? The timing was right Here's an opportunity Of somebody who's living in the jail Who could potentially help Was it the wrong Ishtadlis to ask for that help? And the answer is the timing was right. But the second principle was wrong. And that is, Hishtadlus is only allowed if it makes sense. Let's think a second. How did Yosef come out of jail? Yosef came out of jail because Pari had a dream. And Pari needed an interpreter for his dream. 
And all the wise men of Egypt weren't able to interpret Parah's dream. And therefore Parah finds out about the Yosef who's languishing in the jail, but he's a dream interpreter. That's what I need right now. I have a problem, says Parah. I need someone to interpret my dream. Bring me Yosef. Maybe he can help me. Parah wasn't such a kind-hearted, justice-loving monarch. He didn't free Yosef because he was worried that Yosef had been unfairly jailed. Because he had Rahman and he had compassion on this poor man who's done no wrong. That language doesn't speak to a Parah. Parah freed Yosef because Parah needs Yosef. And if that's the case, to appeal to the Sarah Mashkim, I was stolen from the land of the Ivrim. I'm a young boy, I did nothing wrong, I've been languishing in jail. That's not the language which is going to make any difference to Parah. And therefore, for Yosef to try and do his tadlus, to ask Sarah Mashkim to appeal to, to Parah's kindness, to Parah's Rahmanus to help him, that, that doesn't work. That's not a logical ishtadlus. You're not talking to a God-fearing, kindly person. You're talking to a cruel despot who doesn't care about people's suffering. And that's why the ishtadlus wasn't the right ishtadlus. It was ishtadlus which doesn't make sense that it's going to work. But the amazing thing is, Yosef had done the ishtadlus by answering the dream. What took Yosef out of jail was the fact that the, the battler knew he was a dream interpreter. He had just done that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu set up the Ishtadlis for him. What you need to do to come out of jail is to interpret the battler's dream. You've done that. That's going to be the key out of jail. That's going to be the way you're going to come out of here. You don't need to do more than that. Doing more was doing too much. Because it wasn't logical. I want to show you another story. I had a friend with me, a roommate in Yeshiva. And he very much wanted one day to become a Magajir, a Rosh Hashiva. But he was from a family from Kutzlaz, like, like myself. He didn't have any connections in the system. He didn't have any protectors, they call it in Israel. And he was always worried, how, how am I ever going to become chosen for a position? Who's going to know about me? Who's going to care about me? Who's going to even know that I exist? And what then decided to think, what his status do I need to do? To get to know people, to ask for favors, to try and get a position one day. We together once, he went to ask one of the Gedolim at the time. And what the Skodal told him is, your Hishtadlus is to sit and learn as best you can. You don't need to do more than that. Firstly, I think the reason was, that there isn't a logical established to do. But besides that, certain lot. Because that way people will know that you're someone who knows a lot. They can come and ask you questions. You can answer them. You write Chaburas. People will see the depth of your understanding. They'll see you're a Masmid. And the one person who will tell his cousin, who might have a friend, who might, whatever it might be, that's what's going to eventually provide the link so to speak, to the position he went to get. That's what happened with him. Maybe he's not Rosh Hashem, he's a Rosh Kodal, but that's how things worked out. As the same you said, HaKadosh Baruch provides a person with the status he needs to do. To look to do more than that, if it doesn't make sense that this is the status that's going to work, 
And looking to do beyond that is really a lack of emunah. The Chas a person sick. And there's a treatment offered, but it takes no sense. There's no reason why this should work. It's a shot in the dark. It's grasping at straws. That's not a shtadlis. That's desperation. And that's why when Yosef did something which looks more like it was relying on something illogical to take place, Paris compassion, there wasn't a sign of bitachon. There was a lack of bitachon. And the discussion between Yaakov and his sons was taking Binyamin down. Is that a logical thing to do? Or is that also an act of desperation? It doesn't make sense. You're not in control of the situation. How can you take a Christ for such a thing? And this brings me to the third and the final point I wanted to talk about. And that is, the rule is, this is Chazal, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu deals with the person based on their level of bitachon. Somebody who has bitachon, HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks after him. Somebody who feels, I need to do his status. So if Hashem wants to bring him a Yeshua, it's only, it's only going to come about through his status. Just like a person's parnasa. The amount of, a person has to work hard to make a parnasa. The amount of hishtadlus he has to do is in direct proportion to the amount of hishtadlus a person feels he needs to do. The more a person feels, I need to do something in order to get the parnosa, the more he's going to have to do something. The more he's going to have to work hard. The more a person feels, I don't need to do anything. It's biyad Hashem. And I can sit back and Hashem will take care of me. So, the more HaKadosh Baruch will deal with him in a way which doesn't require that much establishment. And that brings me to where we began. We see yeah, Binyamin did come down and Binyamin was framed and was decreed to remain as a slave. And you heard that to be Moshe Nefesh. That wouldn't happen. To prevent Binyamin being, being held back in Egypt. Why? Yehuda was trying to help. He was trying to make sure they had food to eat. Why did he put through such a situation? So it could be this was his kapara for selling Yosef, or being the one to suggest selling Yosef, that's for sure true as well. But in the context of the story here, there's another reason. And that is, if a person wants to run his ishtadlis, I'm going to bring, look after Binyamin. I'm going to make sure Binyamin comes home again. Then it's going to take Ishtadlis. You're going to have to be willing to emerge an effort to bring Binyamin home again. You're going to have to put an effort for that. And it's true, there's two sides to it. On the one hand, Yehuda is praised for standing up for Binyamin, for keeping his word. But that's. It came a result of his his offer to send take Binyamin. He made the commitment yet to stand up to keep it. And in principles of Bitachon, Zem Yisad, Baruch HaGeva Shiftach Ba'ashem Ayashem Miftachoy. A person who trusts in Hashem, Hashem repays their trust. To whatever level it's going to be. 
And when a person feels, I need to do a certain amount of hishtadlus in order for things to work, then he's going to need to do that hishtadlus. And then Hashem will respond. And therefore, by taking responsibility, I'll bring Binyamin back. That was hishtadlus, which doesn't really make sense. How are you going to guarantee that? You have to guarantee it with mysterious nefesh. He was forced to use, to, to, to put in that effort. To do the hishtadlus to bring Binyamin back. These are concepts of Bitochan, which are deep concepts, the true concepts in our own lives as well. Perhaps with that we can understand better the story between Yaakov and his sons. Why Reuven's original offer wasn't accepted, why Yaakov had his own plan what to do. When he eventually accepted Yehuda's offer, why Yehuda had to be most nefesh to ensure that he could keep his word and bring Benjamin home safely.